the USL show, also known as The View for Soccer. I gave a very pro wrestling heel turn, I'm sorry you were offended apology. Is this the equivalent of the US military discussing what a Naruto run is? I feel angry. Welcome, everybody, to the USL Show. It's brought to you by the Beautiful Game Network, proudly. And uh, it's, it's a special episode, it's a special interview episode, rather, with Joe Lowry. He writes for The Athletic, and he's just one of those guys. We've gotten a bunch of these type of guys, but um, someone you kind of read their work, you hear them talk on different podcasts, and you're like, I'm going to ask this guy to come on the show, and you're kind of, I'm kind of shocked when he says yes, <laughs> especially so openly and welcomingly as he did. So, um, this is an interview with me and him about Phoenix Rising is the team he covers, and uh, it starts fun and light and gets pretty heavy and nerdy and tactical at the end. So, hope you enjoy that. It's only 30 minutes uh, pushed through, and uh, we have another show coming on Friday morning, a regular episode. So, thanks for listening today. All right, I'm joined by Joe Lowry. Uh, Joe, thanks for joining me, man. I'm a, I'm a huge fan of all of your work. I've, I said on our last episode that you have the best, maybe Twitter, uh, for anyone following one team in the USL, and that's the Phoenix Tactics one. Well, thank you so much for having me on, man. I really appreciate it, and uh, thanks for the kind words. Yeah, it's really fun to follow. Um, it's probably the the nerdiest tactical <laughs> tw- Twitter, you know, feed as far as uh, following one USL team. I wish I could do the same. I just don't have the the talent. Uh, but that's why I wanted you to come on. I wanted to get nerdy today. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. <laughs> Good deal. Well, we're going to start easy and we're going to work our way further and further here in case uh, people may want to log off before we get too crazy. But um, we have to open up with the run that Phoenix has done this year. Um, 20 games, 20 wins, not just undefeated, but 20 wins in a row. It's uh, obviously probably the best best team in the USL at this point ever. Yeah, I mean, it's the team this season, what Phoenix Rising has have done is absolutely insane. And being kind of along for the ride and, and watching it unfold up close and in person is has been insane. I don't I don't think there'll really probably in my lifetime be another example of a team that does something quite like this. Obviously win streaks do happen uh, a lot, but something this long is just there's so many factors that have to go into it and so many variables. It's it's hard enough to win one game mm-hmm. in a professional league. Uh, but it's, you know, imagine doing that 20 times in a row on the road in baseball stadiums, you know, at, at home, it just all these different situations. The fact that they were able to stack that many wins on top of one another is insane. It is. It is. And I don't know if you watched much USL. I don't know if you watched the Eastern Conference at all, but I think the the previous holders of that record was uh, FC Cincinnati, who's now in MLS. But um, they aren't quite like this team. I don't know if you saw them. Do you, did you watch that team at all, FC Cincinnati? I watched a little bit of them last season, but I, I'm a far cry from an expert on them. Sure, yeah. I, I, my, I don't know. I, I guess I want you to maybe comment on how they did it in Phoenix. Is it just that they bought all the best players? Or do you think this is just a really well-built team and a well-coached team? Where do you stand on that? 
I think it can be all of those things, right? So you you look at the roster and it's undeniably either one of, if not the most talented, you know, roster top to bottom in MLS, I mean, in USL, excuse me. Um, and so you have these guys who have come, you know, kind of fringe MLS players. You've got Adam John who came uh, from the crew and you just have, you have these quality players who maybe are just looking to find their footing again and get some consistent playing time. So you have those guys, John Beccaro as well on loan from Toronto. And then you have Solomon Asante, right? You know, it's it's what a couple minutes in, and we're already talking about him. He's fantastic. He's good enough to be playing so many different places around the world. Absolutely, uh, the key piece on field piece to this Phoenix Rising team. So you have the talented squad, and I only talked about three guys there, but really top to bottom, even even down to some of the players they're bringing up from FC Tucson and USL League One have been huge contributors to the team this season. So you have the players on one side, and then. On the other hand, you also have both the coaching staff and the front office. And whenever you talk to the coaching staff, it's almost impossible to get through an interview or discussion with them without them taking a minute to thank the ownership group and the front office for the freedoms that they're allowed to have and the the assets that they're allowed to work with and, and all of those types of things. So when you talk to Rick Schantz, he's always very appreciative of the resources that he has to work with. So the front office plays a part in it as well. And then you have the coaching staff, which is a really interesting group, right? So you've got Rick Schantz, who had that interim tag removed over the offseason, now the full-time head coach. You know, he's been in that role a couple of times already with Phoenix, but this is his first opportunity to really imprint his style of play onto this team. And I'm sure we'll talk about that more later. But that's sort of been a really interesting storyline to follow is how the team has adopted you know, his principles and his style. So you have him, Rick Schantz, and then you have two of the outfield assistant coaches, Blair Gavin and Peter Ramage, who are both former Phoenix Rising players. And so, you know, you have this coaching staff that's been put together that really reflects who the team is and where they've come from in the past. So you have sort of the contrast of the history laid on top of, you know, what the team is trying to do now. So I think between, you know, the talented roster, the front office, the ownership group, and then the coaching staff as well, you have you know, a combination of factors that really have made this team into a group that can sustain success over the course of a season and in the future as well. Yeah. And just to reiterate the, it, it has to be the full organization in this case. I, I do want to just say from my opinion to throw in there that I think FC Cincinnati, if you were to look at their individual talent, you almost think there were almost more superstars mixed in onto the roster, almost more like an all-star team in some ways in the way that they were built in the USL. Um, and I didn't necessarily think that way about Phoenix, even though they've got some superstars in their own right, um, and they keep adding more and more seemingly. But um, I would almost say that it, it, it makes me want to appreciate the coaching staff some more, kind of what you're what you're uh, saying there. Um, but but also the full organization being the front office and what they've done with social media and what they've been able to accomplish there also just shows just how well rounded they are in all aspects of of having a club in the USL. Absolutely. You look at when you have a star player like Didier Drogba, you know, leave the field, leave the playing field for a team, you expect there to be a dip in engagement and in, in numbers and in social interaction and things like that. But we haven't seen that at all here in Phoenix. Honestly, the buzz around the team, just as someone who lives in the area, is only growing even without Drogba. So you have things like Dollar Beer Night That's that's been a huge sort of uh, – both sales and external buzz generator for the team this season. And then you have the win streak as well. And you, when you have those two items 
it, they've completely replaced. Well, okay, that's probably harsh, but they've done a they've gone a long way to replace the the narrative void that was left when Drogba you know retired. So you have these the t- the club is putting itself in situations to succeed both on the field and then off the field, like you mentioned with that social engagement. Yeah, yeah, and it's going very very well for them. Uh, you handed me a transition there, and I'm going to take it. Um, you mentioned Dollar Beer Night. Um, there was an incident recently about a bottle being thrown or two, uh, seemingly. Um, and you know, we were we were talking before, and I said on the last episode about how then I woke up the next morning and, and I just couldn't figure out what happened for a long time until I stumbled across your Twitter account where you did lay out exactly what happened. And since I follow you anyway, I knew I could trust you because you go about your business in a, in a, in a good way. Um, but there were a lot happened that day. I would say that's one downside of, of the USL and that it is hard to kind of get news. And we talked about a few other things, but maybe just start by running us through kind of what happened that night from your perspective. Absolutely. So uh, the event that we're talking about happened uh, back in earlier in the month of September against uh, the LA Galaxy 2. So it actually wasn't a dollar beer night, but there obviously is, you know, beer sold <laughs> all the time at these games. So the match started and eventually midway through the second half, there was an item thrown on the field from uh, someone in the south end of the stadium, which is the supporter section. Typically later, we found out that, you know, according to reports and video footage that the club was able to gather that it was thrown by uh a Los Dos supporter, uh, if that's a thing. Um, and then a few minutes later, as sort of the referees were discussing what was going to happen and as players were, you know, they weren't actually playing on the field. They were sort of mulling around the sidelines. The referees decided to to just suspend the play for five minutes. They would, players would head into the locker room and then they would come back out once things had sort of settled down and they'd gotten a handle on the situation. But as the players were leaving the field, a Phoenix fan threw a uh, we're not sure if it was a beer or a water bottle or what it was, but something at an opposing player. So it hit one of the Los Dos players and uh, Augustine Williams was his name. And so they eventually the referees suspended the match. They called it. It was late enough in the game and the scoreline was such that they could officially rule the game as a Phoenix victory because they were up you know, by a significant amount. They were up four to one at that time. But we didn't know at the time in the media box, like the fans, no one really knew what was going on. We didn't understand, you know, if the referee, if if it was legal for him to have called the game, if it would come, if the players would be coming back out, if they would play the match behind closed doors later on. We didn't know what was happening. And so, you know, honestly, the biggest storyline from my perspective was just how slowly they, you know, both not necessarily the club but both the club and the league moved in terms of giving information about what happened with at this time though the win streak is over for phoenix right now but they were still in the throes of that of that run and so we didn't know if if phoenix would have to forfeit because of the fan behavior in their stadium we didn't understand what was going on and so unfortunately for other some of the other media members who were on a deadline they had to stick around and and wait to hear what the result was before they could go home. So it was it was well past midnight by the time the game started at seven thirty. It was well past midnight by the time we had finally you know gotten a statement from the league. It was twelve twenty five in the morning by the time USL officially sent out a statement. So thankfully I was not a deadline. I just stuck around to to see what was happening and record the events. But it was a really wild night. I think if USL could take anything away, it's that they, they probably should be doing a little bit of a better job to support local media in terms of how they distribute information in maybe a little bit more timely fashion. But ultimately, uh, no one was no one was hurt. Uh, both fans who threw items were banned from the stadium uh, for future events. They got a handle on the whole situation. 
the the result did count for Phoenix, but it was it was a really interesting situation that I personally never seen unfold quite like that, and and hopefully I won't ever see again. Yeah, I uh, I, I hope not, but I, I find that hard to believe. I'm sure something like that will happen again. As I've actually seen stuff thrown in St. Louis and they just missed. So um, I think it'll keep happening, unfortunately. But um, one thing that was weird about one of your tweets that I was hoping to kind of clarify, um, I thought it was strange that there was no um, after game presser, that that was canceled. I thought that was strange, but maybe they handled it in a way where they, you know, said there's not much we can say right now. We're working on it. How did that go down? So we found out that there would be no post-game media availability, you know, maybe an hour after this whole thing had gone down. So it wasn't too late at that point. But that was a little unfortunate, right, from just purely from a media perspective, because it would have been helpful to sort of understand the players and the and the coaches perspective on sort of what had happened. But, you know, we were not necessarily here in Phoenix privy to a ton of information anyway. The club keeps a pretty tight lid on what happens. So we you know, it, being at the mercy of the the press officers and things like that is it, something that you know we've kind of grown accustomed to. That's more or less just the situation here. So, it was it was understandable. I think I don't think any of us were surprised that there was no information coming. You know, Sam Doer and and Jose Bosch did come up and sort of let us know that there would be a statement from the league coming mm-hmm. a couple hours as this whole process was going down, uh, and it, it took a, a little bit longer than they had told us, but there at least was some communication. I think the club wanting to control the message a little bit and just make sure they had all the facts in place before letting the media speak to players and coaches is absolutely understandable. A little bit unfortunate from my perspective because I end up writing mostly about the tactical side of the game. And so not being able to to discuss that with any of the coaches or players did uh, did cause me a little bit of trouble. But, you know, sometimes that's the way it goes. The media business is oftentimes not a glamorous one. <laughs> indeed, indeed. And I actually want to talk to you about a weird thing. I didn't plan on this, but we're kind of touching on it here because I expected you to get a lot more information than someone like me. But basically everything you're saying is what I'm I know tons of guys around the USL in different cities. We all experience that tight lipness. We we've experienced there's not going to be a lot of communication, and we kind of thought it was because we're in this weird realm of supporter slash media. We're not either, you know, but um, or maybe we're a little of both. I don't know how it, how it, how it goes, but you I, I realized tonight that you're covering Phoenix for your own website, not necessarily the Athletic, even though you write for the Athletic. So, wow, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that weird place that a lot of us fall and even yourself to a certain degree? I have I have a lot of thoughts and probably more than I should share. But I think <laughs> ultimately, a lot of the time, it's the clubs doing themselves a little bit of a disservice, at least from my perspective. I think fans want to get this information and not just looking at this, you know, beer throwing incident or, you know, whatever, but looking at the club as a whole and breaking news and then things like that. When when clubs keep such a tight lip on the narrative, it really hurts the amount of buzz, at least in my opinion, it hurts what they're able to generate and it hurts the exposure that they're able to get. Uh, just to give an example, Phoenix Rising signed uh, Corey Whelan from uh, Liverpool's youth organization early this season and he's been starting at center back for Phoenix a lot over the last month and a half or, or two months. But, you know, the media wasn't even allowed to speak to, to Corey until uh, one of one of the media members, Owen Evans, actually traveled to 
uh, I can't remember which city it was, but he traveled with, you know, to go cover the team away from home. And only then was he allowed to speak mm-hmm. with Whelan. So it's, it's a lot of these situations that, you know, if we'd been allowed to talk to this player, we could have been, you know, telling his story and letting fans get, get insight into who he is and sort of what his interests are and his passions and how he ended up here in Phoenix. And so a lot of the time, media members are left, at least here in Phoenix, scrambling just as much as, as other fans and supporters are as well. So I'm, I'm optimistic that as the league continues to mature and as these teams grow a little bit more in their markets, they'll start to realize the benefit that, that some of us can provide to them and to their players and, and to the fans as well and just helping those relationships continue to grow stronger. But, you know, frankly, it's frustrating at times. It's absolutely frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, less so for me, I think, than others here because I, I – am not able to do it for an outlet full time at this at this time but for guys that are here so often and looking for stories and things like that it's it's a real obstacle for them and so coordinating events with the team can be extremely challenging at times to get to get media access and to get sort of knowledge as to what's happening and what situations are unfolding but you know i'm optimistic that we'll see that continue to progress over the next couple of seasons but yeah no it's it's exactly like what you're saying there in st louis we've got the exact same thing unfolding out here in phoenix yeah and it seems to be a weird mix of i think it's fair to kind of almost categorize categorize people like me um and somewhat you as like a grassroots movement as far as somewhat of a grassroots media coverage if you want to dub it that and and the thing about grassroots is i do think it's super effective but I'm not sure front offices, I'm not sure even the USL League has a way of measuring that effectiveness necessarily. And we don't get, you know, as far as like clicks and things like that, we don't have as much easily measurable things that are tracked regularly in that way either. And so I do find that maybe someone's going to have to take a step and really show that it helped them a lot, almost by word of mouth. Or, or I don't know if there's any other way of doing that, but I have found that perhaps a measurable, not having a measurable might be part of the problem. Do you have any other thoughts on that? I think that's absolutely part of it. Uh, it's also, you know, speaking from my experience here in Phoenix, there's such a new relationship here that the club is building between, you know, their their story and their team you know, coupling that alongside local media. So even in the midst of this streak, we had, you know, one, our, our local Arizona newspaper cut its, its beat writer during, during the win streak. Oh. So it, it, it's not only is that decision mind boggling to me, but it gives an example of how new and delicate and fresh the relationship is between, you know, media entities and, and Phoenix rising because, you know, local outlets want to see, Phoenix Rising stories generate buzz and generate clicks for them and Phoenix need to see the same thing in return. And so until those things can be proven, you know, it's understandable that the relationship is is still a little bit volatile and it's not, you know, unfriendly or anything like that, but it's still developing, right? Mm-hmm. So until I think you're right there Phil, until we can see sort of tangible benefit on both sides, it's going to be difficult for that relationship to be solidified and and to become more informal and and I don't want to say lax, but become a little bit more personal, right, between these two parties. So you and I sort of taking the the grassroots approach as you referred to it as, you know, we we don't always get the same not necessarily the same benefits, but it's absolutely difficult sometimes to prove the value behind, you know, some of these ventures. So I understand it from the club's perspective, absolutely. And I also understand from some of the more mainstream media outlets wanting to see the coverage be proven proven to add value to an organization and to, you know, newspaper or website or whatever it is, all those things need to happen 
together to kind of make the relationships solidify over the course of the next couple of seasons. Yeah, without a doubt. And, and um, I just want to wrap up that conversation by kind of adding in here, like, like a help wanted sign perhaps is there are a lot of USL clubs that don't have someone like you or someone like me who, even if you don't cover the team regularly, it might help just to kind of say, Hey, this is what happened tonight in this game, just to clarify. And, and you might become that trusted person. You don't have to be special. You do have to have maybe a good sense of, of, um, I don't know, a good way of phrasing things and a level head in order to not be viewed as a, as a crazy. Um, but other than that, it's really helpful to cover your team, even if you think it's really simple stuff and it's only once a month, that's still helpful. So I want to encourage anyone listening to maybe consider doing that and finding someone around you. Uh, the Beautiful Game Network will be happy to help you with that sort of thing, just to kind of put a plug in there. Um, but to move on to the next thing, to go into tactics a little bit and, and getting a little nerdy, um, you mentioned Corey Whelan, and that's exactly what I wanted to start on. Um, I wanted to talk about the center back situation for Phoenix because the team did start slow and my automatic move there was to maybe kind of look at the center back rotation and who was there. I know um, my boy AJ Cochran from St. Louis is there and um, you know I'm a big supporter of him but there was some weird stuff going on at least in that position. I thought we might start there. For sure yeah at the beginning of the season the team did not did not start out very strongly. Uh, it took them several games to get their first win. They had uh, four consecutive draws to start the season. And, you know, fans especially were sort of questioning what was going on with the team tactically. The product they were seeing on the field didn't quite match with the talent that, you know, it was clear that Phoenix had to work with. And so I'd like to attribute that to the changing of tactical regimes from Patrice Carteron last season, who kind of shaped the team into more of a defensively oriented sit in either a 4-4-2 or a 4-1-4-1 mid or low block, and then win the ball, bomb it up to Chris Cortez or Didier Drogba and, and play off of them from there. And so that style was effective. It got them to the, the USL champion, the USL final. Um, but Rick Schantz doesn't want to play that way, and he he wants to do things a little bit differently. He he's a big Arsenal guy, so he kind of has sort of the the clean, crisp passing style from Arsenal's heyday in his mind when he thinks about his own tactical ideology. So we saw Phoenix try to play more expansive at the beginning of the season. They spread the field, attack aggressively, you know, defend high up the field. In the first few games of the season, it came back to bite them. They couldn't. Uh, figure out how to balance their defensive structure with their offensive shape. And so that's kind of where we saw some of those goals let in. I think back to the second game of the season against Mexico United. There was a home game for Phoenix. And there was just such a disconnect in the midfield of of how the players were supposed to track, how different players were supposed to move and cover ground and stop counterattacks. And so there were a couple of goals against New Mexico where uh, you know New Mexico United just had yards and yards of space to run into completely un, unhindered. And just got shots on goal that eventually, you know, led them to a draw. And so now we look forward to the season. You mentioned the center backs. Center backs have have been solid. So they've they've understand they understand now how to interact with the players around them, with their fullbacks, with the defensive midfielder in front of them. And so even at the beginning of the year when we saw Phoenix let in some goals, I think a lot of that could be attributed to just an overall lack of understanding, particularly by the midfield, of how to protect the back line. But now we don't see those same issues, really. We see the team move as a unit defensively. And a lot of that absolutely does come from guys like A.J. Cochran and Corey Whelan, we both mentioned so far. And then you also have Duigi Mala and uh, Joey Farrell as well. So it's four really you know, quality USL center backs who can absolutely step in at any time. 
Yep. And they're, they're key both defensively and offensively as well. Rick Schantz likes to refer to them as the main distributors from the back. They, they're responsible for you know bringing the ball forward, playing out from the back, splitting lines, getting the ball forward into midfield, and, and helping the team progress play from there. So of the teams that I've watched in USL this season, I think Phoenix relies on those center backs in all phases of the game more than almost any other team in the league. So you know, you you specifically highlighted AJ Cochran. He's been a favorite of mine this season as well, just from a, a purely visual standpoint. The way he passes the ball with that left foot is is so key to what Phoenix do. So when you think about them tactically, it really does start there. It starts from Zach Lubin and goal as well and his ability to play short. And then moving up the field into midfield, you have any number of these guys that can play any different any number of different positions. You have James Musa and Kevin Kevin Kevin. I'm not. I still don't know how to say it, guys. I I really don't. Um, <laughs> in midfield at the at the defensive midfield spot, and then Aguinaga, Jose Aguinaga, John Baccaro, as well in front. Peter Lee Vassell is another guy who's he's on loan from LAFC, who's who's gotten some minutes here for Phoenix towards the end of the season. Those guys are all capable of interchanging in midfield, dropping into different spaces, moving the ball forward. Uh, outside of Baccaro, I would say that there probably isn't a true playmaker in that bunch, uh, and so. Bakero's been been hurt a little bit over the last few weeks, uh, and so we've seen a little bit of a dip in Phoenix's midfield production. But if he's able to come back in time for the playoffs, I think he's going to be a real boost back into that midfield three. Then you look at the front line, uh, the top of the four three three that Phoenix likes to play, and you know this is kind of where the magic really happens. So you've got Solomon Asante, who absolutely headlines that group. Um, favorite for USL MVP. Absolutely. He's, he deserves every bit of the attention that he's getting on that right wing. Then Adam John, as I, I mentioned him before, he's been very good for Phoenix this season in terms of his ability to drop into midfield, uh, hold up the ball, move pass, uh, and then get back into the box. He's had a couple of killer goals for Phoenix on the road that have sealed games for them uh, to either extend the win streak or just put the team in a position to get three points and come back to Phoenix with the result. And then finally on the left wing, it's been Junior Fleming's uh, Jamaican international starting for most of the season. He's been the guy who I think has has really progressed the most this season from start to finish. His ability to cut in from the left side onto his right foot kind of resembles Aryan Robin uh, for Bayern Munich cutting in from the left side. Uh, and so you see that different uh, different style of winger on the left wing. And Fleming's has been absolutely fantastic for Phoenix this year. If he's not you know, progressing up the American professional soccer pyramid or uh, or somewhere else abroad over the next couple of years, I'll be shocked because he, he's, he's so talented physically, uh, technically, and he has a great understanding of what space he, what spaces he needs to occupy depending on his fullback and the midfielder and all of that. So the team is really, really well, uh, is gelled very, very well over the course of the season. And I think now they're not in the best form. Uh, even at the end of the win streak, they were starting to scuffle a little bit. But that most recent 2-2 comeback draw against New Mexico United was was really big as they won the, the USL Supporters Shield, or it's not officially called that, but as they won the regular season title for the USL Championship earlier on in that game, coming back and, and getting a draw was was a big result for them on the road against a, a really, a really really tactically sound and talented New Mexico United team that was huge for them. So as the regular season closes out and they head into the playoffs, I think seeing how the team adjusts and how they uh, implement that style against opponents who really want to sit deep and counterattack is going to be super important for the team. But uh, the evolution of, of Phoenix Rising, especially tactically from last season to this year, has been has been really interesting to watch, and it's clearly paid dividends on the field. Yeah, and, and I hadn't necessarily noticed it, but now that you mention it, you know, them launching the ball a little more last year definitely was the case, and they definitely picked up center backs that – 
you knew I should have known based on who they got that they were trying to play out of the back like that with their center backs. Um, I'd like to frame the next question. You mentioned there's not necessarily a playmaker in the midfield. Um, and so I'm kind of curious, you know, where does athleticism come in versus, you know, they're both playing out of the back. They're very obviously a very athletic team. And I don't want you to apologize for athleticism like some people think you should. I think it's vital. Right, right. I think it's vital in any league, not just an American league. So I'm kind of curious how they handle that or what the mixture is there. There is a great balance, I think, between delicate offensive play, you know, finesse, uh, clean, calm passing, and then also their ability to hunt the ball down and win it back, uh, you know, counter pressing or, or pressing in general when they don't have possession. And so, you know, you look at Lambert in midfield and Junior Flemings and John and Asante up top are all very physically capable players. Uh, and then the back line as well, all guys that can step in, uh, cover a little bit of ground. You know, AJ Cochran is not as mobile defensively as some of the other center backs on the roster but he can win an aerial battle like nine times out of ten <laughs> there's speed on the field there's physical there's physicality on the field and that's a huge part of this team's tactical makeup because if they don't have the ability to cover ground and to win the ball back after they push so many numbers forward in the attack they're going to get scored on and that's what we saw happen at the beginning of the season we saw uh, javi perez come in from lafc who uh, hasn't been playing much for them this season, but he's he's a very classic Spanish number six, uh, not very mobile, but super technical. And so he and James Musa played together a little bit, and they just got overrun. That they couldn't handle covering the amount of ground that the system required them to. And so now we see Perez has gone back to LAFC, and it's been more of a different rotation in that midfield with different guys who are all capable of doing that job and of covering the back line and and acting as that safety net. So, yeah, no, that's that's a great question. I don't think apologizing for physicality is ever necessarily the right thing to do. You want to have that balance between technicality and physicality, but you you truly do need both to be a successful team uh, over the course of a season. I think that's what we're seeing from Phoenix this year. Yeah, and, and so I, I'm curious. I imagine you saw the Fresno game, and I watched the New Mexico game. Um, you mentioned the kind of team that can kind of catch Phoenix is one that sits back and counters. That makes total sense to me. Uh, Fresno was built to do that. Uh, New Mexico, not so much, but they almost got them. So I guess I'm, I'm curious about the playoffs. How do you see that playing out? Who might be their biggest challenges? Frankly, I think it's both the teams you just mentioned. Uh, you look at a team like Fresno who are just so capable of sitting deep and then you know moving the ball forward quickly. And I, frankly, I think the same with New Mexico. Uh, they have you know players who are uniquely capable of getting in behind. You look at Kevon Frader especially, who you know was really difficult for Phoenix to contain. He gave uh, the center backs a lot of trouble on Saturday. Those both of those squads are very very capable of giving Phoenix. Uh, a tough matchup in the postseason. And then also another team, uh, Reno. I think Reno doesn't sit deep. That's not their identity. Their identity is to make the field big and try to build from the back and then press when they don't have the ball. And that's been a really interesting matchup for Phoenix this season when they've played Reno. It's a, a clash of two very similar styles. Um, Phoenix won the most recent matchup 4-2 to two in a home game. But even that was, was a really good battle between two teams that want to play similar ways. 
And so if we see that matchup in the postseason as well, I don't know how the seeding would have to work out for those two teams to actually meet in the Western Conference playoffs at any point. But that would be a matchup a little bit different than Fresno or New Mexico, just simply stylistically. Um, But I think that's another team that would give Phoenix some trouble in the postseason. Yeah, I mean, those are probably my four favorite teams in the West, not necessarily in talent, just I enjoy watching them. And, and, And something that people don't realize about the USL is that it's not just like a college league where most people just kind of punt the ball and run it's like there are different teams with different styles and and they each implement those styles smartly for the most part you know and and they build them with the best possible players they can find it's getting better and better every year i think in the usl have you seen a little bit of that as well 100 percent. i think we're starting to see more tactical variation and, and teams come in with specific styles of play And that's really encouraging, not only as someone who likes to watch games from a tactical perspective, but also as just a consumer of American soccer in general, seeing more diversity and seeing teams come in with a concrete understanding from from front office to coaching staff to players of how they want to go out there and play is huge because that that gives an organization an identity and it gives them an ability to go out on the field and perform in a consistent fashion. You know, sometimes that style might come back to bite you and another team will absolutely blow you out of the water because of your principles and your your tactical understanding. But mm. other times it's going to it's going to help you create sustained success even in the midst of adversity and that's what we're seeing in Phoenix this year. They've had so many different games where things haven't gone their way or an opposing team style is just really difficult to break down. But because the players are committed to the, the, the tactical style that the coaching staff has implemented, they've been able to work together to sort of overcome those things. And I don't know if that'll continue into the postseason or not, mm-hmm. but using them as an example, as a as sort of a microcosm of, US, of USL's development, it's encouraging. It's encouraging to see these teams, these independent soccer clubs come out there with a consistent style and a consistent identity and and try to win with that. So as someone who's going to be monitoring the league, you know, in the future, it's great to see that starting to happen now. And I'm excited to see where it goes over the next few years. Me too. Me too. Um, Joe, anything else you want to fit in before we kind of close things up here? You know, I, I don't think so, man. I, it's, it's been an interesting ride, uh, this season for sure. My first full season covering the team, uh, I think the playoffs are going to be wild. I I think there are going to be some things that we don't expect, uh, whether that's from a Phoenix perspective or just from the rest of the league. Um, And I'm excited to, to be along for the ride. Yeah, me too. Me too. And I'm, I'm very thankful that you are covering Phoenix in the way that you are. So thank you so much. I enjoy all you do again. Um, One more uh, thing before we go. And that is where can people find all this great information you have? So you can find my Phoenix rising coverage, at risingtactics.com or on Twitter at Rising Tactics. And then uh, I also do write about a lot of other soccer stuff. Uh, so if you want to read a little bit about that, you can follow me on Twitter at Joe Incleats. So it really any or all of those things are, are good resources. Love it, Joe. Again, thanks so much for joining me today and I look forward to the rest of your uh, work for this year. Thanks so much for having me. 